All right, let's take out our Bibles and find Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Those of you who are regularly attending with us, you know that we are studying through the book of Romans, and we're way back in chapter 3, and we just finished last week, verse 8. Um, but this morning we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, and actually next week as well, the first two verses. So your ears are not deceiving you. <laughs> you haven't been transported in some weird time warp into the future or in some multiverse. You are actually right here with us. And I've wanted to find a passage that could connect to baptism as I like to do that and kind of capitalize, if you will, on this ordinance and really talk about the life of a Christian, the Christian life, what is supposed to be the norm of the Christian life after they come to faith in Christ and are baptized what is to be the norm of their life for the rest of their life? And Romans 12, verse 1, that we'll look at this week, is what that looks like. These two verses, verses 1 and 2, are foundational to the Christian life. They're absolutely foundational. So again, as I said earlier about Scripture memory, if you have not memorized these two verses, or maybe it's been a long time since you have, since many people have probably memorized these if you've been up in church at all, I would encourage you to revisit them and get them fixed in your memory and give attention to them by way of meditation and thinking, pondering, praying about these two verses. They are foundational to the Christian experience. Paul has spent 11 chapters. We're only in chapter 3 of that. But by the time he gets to chapter 12, verse 1, when he's going to give this appeal to his brothers and sisters in Christ and the church at Rome, he has been through 11 chapters unfolding gospel truths to them. We haven't even scratched the surface in it. We're still in the fact that we're all sinners. Chapter 3, verse 8. We haven't even gotten to the gospel yet. And he has spent 11 chapters unfolding it for them before he gets to these two chapters. And what we're going to find is that what you do is you build your entire life, your entire existence is built, is lived on the basis of and in response to everything he teaches us in the first 11 chapters. Can you see how important that is then as we're going through those? Because you're, he's going to appeal here that you're going to build your entire life on what he has just unfolded in the first 11 chapters. Can't underestimate how significant those chapters are and then the appeal here in chapter 12 in verse 1. So the main point of, these, of verse 1 that we'll look at this morning, here's the main point. In light of the gospel... In light of the mercy and grace God has shown to you in Christ, you are to give your entire lives in service to Him. Okay? 
So in light of the gospel, in light of the mercy and grace of God that he has shown to us in Christ, we are to give our entire lives in service to him. And what we'll see is that's the only rational worship. It's the only reasonable response is an entire life devoted to God. Okay. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. These are the very words of God, and let's pause and ask his blessing on them now. Father, we come before you as we are going to embark on these two verses this week and next, and we confess that we depend upon you to understand them and to comprehend them and then to apply them in our lives, we would need your spirit for all of that. So we pray his mighty work now in our hearts and minds. And may these truths come to pass in our lives so that you are glorified. And we ask this as always in the name of Jesus. Amen. What you have in verse 1 is a call to action, isn't it? It's a call to action. It's a call to do something. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And the particular thing that he's appealing to you to do is to present your bodies, your entire being. That's the only way, the only thing he could mean by that. Your entire being, who you are, your entire life, everything you do, you are going to present it now to God as a living sacrifice. That's the appeal that he is giving here. And the word appeal is the word for exhort or encourage. Literally to call along to one side to help. And he is appealing from his heart to them as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why he refers to them as such. I appeal to you therefore, brethren, and talking to you Christians. By the way, if you're not a Christian, and by that I mean this that you have been born again by His Spirit, your faith is resting in Jesus Christ and Him alone, then this verse is not for you. You do not start here. You do not start here. This is not where you start to have a right relationship with God. You start through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. And then you get to this. After you understand how salvation works and where your salvation rests. So he's appealing to them now. He's exhorting to them now. And you'll notice a phrase, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God you're going to do this in accordance with them. And like I said, that's what he taught to us in the first 11 chapters. So the first 11 chapters, if Paul's going to summarize 11 chapters of content what is it all about? He would use the word mercy and make it plural and say it's the mercies of God to you. 
See, we're in the first three chapters which are explaining why we need mercy. Why we need grace. It's because we are fallen, depraved sinners. All of us confined under sin, guilty as charged, in opposition to God by nature. And people in that condition need mercy from God. That's the only way they're going to be made right with Him. That's it. No other way. Just by His sheer mercy upon their lives. His grace to them. His forgiveness to them. His sending of His Son to them. The cross work. What we'll get into, the Holy Spirit's work in applying the gospel into our hearts and minds and keeping us and holding us and enabling us to live for God. All of these things that we'll learn, in, especially in the first eight chapters, but then also in chapters 9 through 11. These are his multitude of mercies. So great a number, we couldn't name them all. We have been the people of his mercy. And he says, therefore now, based on the mercies of God... I'm appealing to you, therefore. Therefore being a key word in the verse. Therefore, based on the mercies of God, on everything that I've taught you, you present yourselves, your bodies, a living sacrifice to God. Every week we get to absorb the mercies of God for us in Christ. That should actually make the study of Romans 1 through 11, exciting to us. I mean, it could be like this. We could get up on Sunday morning and say, I'm going to go to church. We're going to rehearse in our liturgy the gospel mercies of God to us. And then Jess in his imperfect way, but hopefully with the gifting of the Spirit is going to unfold from Romans 1 through 11 somewhere these mercies of God to me. And then I'm to know them and see them and relish them and worship God for them, but not just that morning. This is what Paul's teaching. My worship of God isn't going to just be this morning. Then I'm going to walk out of there in light of all those mercies that I've rehearsed with the congregation. And I'm now going to go give myself to God entirely based on those. That's the flow of the passage. That's what Paul is doing here. And that's the way it is, friends, with true Christian teaching. It always begins with the good news, the gospel. The good news of what God in his mercy has done for believers in Jesus. What he has done in and through his son to save us from our sins. It's all... Statements of fact and indicatives just telling us this is what God has done. This is the gospel. This is what he's done. This is the foundation of your life. Now, it's always in light of that that you give yourself to God entirely. Can you see, friends, how dangerous it is to get the order reversed? What if you said or reasoned, okay, I'm a sinner. God's angry with me because of my sin. So I want to make God happy with me. So what I'm going to do then is I'm going to present myself to God a living sacrifice. I'm going to do 
whatever he wants me to do in my life and I'm just going to keep obeying him and I'm going to keep doing good and I'm going to just give my whole life to God and then he'll be happy with me and then he'll show me mercy on the judgment day. Do you know that's how the vast majority of people think? Friends, I'd be willing to bet your next two paychecks that if we asked everybody in this room the question, why do you think God's going to let you into heaven? That there would be people in this room who would begin listing things they've done. Or listing churches they've attended. Or giving a resume of what their life has looked like. That's not the right answer. The answer is the mercy of God to me in Jesus Christ. I'm forgiven in Christ. He lived for me, died for me, rose again for me. That's the only reason. And then now, in light of that, in response to that, empowered by that, encouraged by that, now I live my life for Him. I just give myself entirely to Him. To present your bodies a living sacrifice based on the mercies of God, based on the therefore. Nellie and I were talking about this last night and she had just listened to a message earlier this week from a far greater preacher than me. I wish she would just re-listen to my messages during the week as she's driving along. I don't know why she's listening to other people. But his whole message out of this verse was on the word therefore. And I loved that. It's like the whole message is on therefore. It's like you're building your entire life on therefore. That's how important it is. Therefore, based on everything that I've shown you, says the Apostle Paul, I encourage you now to give your lives to God entirely. The Christian life, by the way, friends, is laid out like this. There is a call to action. There's a call to change. There's no such thing as an authentic, true Christian life that has no change. That's a fake Christian life. Or as James will put it, in a very James way, it's a, it's a dead faith, a faith that isn't followed by works and living for God. Why that, my friends, is a dead faith, says James. That's a dangerous faith. Because it's a misplaced faith and people who have that kind of faith might find themselves one day standing in the judgment without the righteousness they need and not under the mercy of God but under the wrath of God. The gospel produces change. Paul starts with that. Romans 1.16 It is the power of God unto salvation. That your salvation required power to change you to the core of your being. And that results, friends, in a changed life. And good, faithful Bible teaching will always lay down those in statements of fact about the gospel and then get to, okay, now, here's your appeal to action. Here's what you're going to do now in response to that. And if you read through those New Testament letters, they're all designed that way. It's not just me saying that. Paul does it. 
Peter does it. John does it. Based on now what God has done for you, now you do this. You live in this way. You live out that gospel change you've experienced in your life. Well, as Paul puts it here, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Christians have different lives than everyone else around them. And this is why next week we'll talk about that idea about not being conformed to this world, which is what the world wants to do. The world's philosophies and ways of thinking and teaching, and when you're out in the, in the world during the week and you're rubbing shoulders with unregenerate people who don't know God and aren't born again, the world applies this pressure upon you to begin molding you, conforming you to its image. And that's why Paul will say, no, friends, don't let that happen. You've got to be being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how that works. It's a life of change and transformation and growth. Yes, nobody just starts out perfect. Nobody ends up perfect until they're in glory. So this is a lifetime of growth, but it is growth nonetheless so build your life on the gospel, friends. It's your whole life now, your whole existence. And he puts it like this, present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. That's Old Testament temple sacrifice language. Do you recognize it as such? So if you read through some of the law, you read through places like Leviticus and they had the sacrificial system at the temple. And what you would do is you would bring to the priest an animal that God requires according to whatever sacrifice it is and you would bring that sacrifice to the priest and you would say, here, I'm presenting you as an act of worship now, I'm presenting you this animal for a sacrifice on my behalf. And then the priest, of course, would take the animal and kill it and do everything required of the priest to do with that particular animal. But he's not asking you to present an animal. He's appealing to you to present yourself. So he wanted you to have that imagery of you walking up to, with your sacrifice and presenting it over by saying, you're not handing over to God some animal in your place. You're handing over yourself now. And just as in any sacrifice there is death, friends, make no mistake, in this presenting of yourself to God, there is a death that occurs. Now, it's a living sacrifice. That's clear. But there is a death that happens. It is a death to sin. It is a death to sinful self. It is a death to sinful desires. It is a death to the world. Or as Paul put it, I'm crucified to the world and the world to me. And now I'm presenting myself to God as a living sacrifice so that I will live my entire life in worship and service to Him. And I love what Paul says at the end. He says, this is, or which is, the end of verse one, your spiritual worship. Now, if you have a Bible like mine, I've got a little footnote and there's alternate translation here. And that's rational service or rational worship. That's because the underlying Greek word 
logikos is where we get our English word logical. So in other words, what I think Paul is saying, and what, if I remember correctly, the New King James Version that I originally memorized this scripture in uses, the rational or reasonable service to God. It only makes the most sense now. In light of the mercies of God, the only reasonable, rational response after I let it roll around in my brain a little bit is to give my whole existence to God. That I no longer live for me or this world, but I'm living now for Him. You see? Is that not a rational response? If you believe Romans 1 through 11 and the mercies you've received in God, is that not a rational response? I had a Christian tell me once, I hope he doesn't come here. If he still is here, he probably regrets saying it or maybe he forgot saying it. But he said to me, I, I don't remember who it was, but he said, I, I think we can take the Christian life too seriously. I think we need balance, was the idea. You know, we can, we can get carried away with this whole thing, you know? And God wants us to be, you know, balanced people. Yeah, we're Christians, but, you know, we're still a little bit in the world, and let's just be reasonable about these things. But when I read Romans 12, verse 1, I see no balance there at all. It is a life lived entirely presented to God as a living sacrifice. It's for God, and that's rational. That's reasonable. Any other response would not be. In light of what God has done for us in Christ, to give Him a little bit of our life, or maybe some Sunday mornings, if, you know, we got nothing else going on, That's not rational. Not when you think of the nature of the mercy that he has shown to you. And that leads me to say this, or ask this question, as some have asked about this passage. When do we do this, Paul? He appeals to us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Some interpret that to mean... A one-time thing. So when you come to faith in Christ, right there and then I make this decision now that I'm going to live for God. Okay? And maybe some of you have been to camps and uh, Christian pep rallies and they're, they're saying, commit now to God and once and for all. And I think, that is okay to a degree because I'm calling for commitment right now, Paul is. But as long as we don't misunderstand that the nature of presenting your bodies a living sacrifice to God is something you must do every single day. This is a daily endeavor. 
Because as we just mentioned earlier, and what chapter, verse 2 will teach you is that the world is continually drawing you to itself and conforming you to its image. And your sinful flesh that we'll talk about in Romans chapter 7 is always there, always dragging you back down. And so this commitment to God to live for Him has to be something that is every single day. As a matter of fact, did you know Jesus said as such in Luke chapter 9, in verses 23 to 25, Jesus said to all, listen now, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And what's that next word? daily and follow me. There it is. Jesus discipling you wants you to understand this isn't a one-time thing now. Every day there is this in our minds we have got to just think to ourselves I've got to give myself to you today God to follow in your ways and to walk in your righteousness and to say no to my sin and to resist the pullings of the devil in the world and I'm giving myself now to you. This is every day. With Jesus, everything was all or nothing, right? Much like what Paul's saying, even in verses 24 and 25 of Luke 9, he says, for whoever would save his life, this would be the opposite of denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him. Whoever would lose it, uh, save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what is a profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses it forfeits himself? Do you ever fall into that where you're kind of a, this type of Christian where you're kind of like one foot in and one foot out? Right? You're like a hokey pokey Christian. You got your left foot in, but not your right foot. What I read in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and what I read in Luke chapter 9 and other passages, we've got to be all in on this. And that's a daily endeavor. When we catch ourselves slipping away to remind ourselves of the mercies of God and what our proper response to them is supposed to be, it's never a half-hearted commitment. It's our lives now. This is the way we live a living sacrifice to God. That is our reasonable worship, reasonable service. Now let me give you one example of what this looks like in Romans chapter 6. And I won't spend much time in this, but I just wanted to show you this even in connection with what we looked at earlier. Paul uses some of the same examples. So let's say later on today, something happens and you are within your body and mind, feeling a desire to sin. This is how practical this gets, right here. Ready? Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? No, I'm sorry, verse 12. I had the wrong verse there. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Friends, did you know that your mortal body has passions or desires of its own? 
(laughs) that aren't in keeping, even with the new man you are in Christ that wants to do right, you have these desires in your mortal body that are always contrary to what God wants. And Paul says, do not let those reign in your body. Don't don't let that desire make you obey its passions. So are you tempted to be angry in the passions of your flesh is to lash out, to use your mouth to say something angrily at someone else to hurt them for making you angry or to use your hands to pick something up and throw it across a room or to punch a hole through a door. You feel like you want to use now. Your body's like, use me now to do something sinful. That's what he's talking about here. And he says, do not do that. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Do you see what he's doing there? He's using the same terminology that he'll use later in chapter 12 to say, present your whole bodies to him. Well, Paul, what does that look like on a moment-by-moment basis? Well, it looks like this. Are you tempted to use your body for something sinful? Don't do that. Use your body instead for something righteous, something good, something holy, something pleasing to God. That's the idea. You see, offering yourself to God as a living sacrifice isn't necessarily a big thing. It's faithful, everyday acts of obedience to God and disobedience to your sin. That's one way it manifests itself. And then I want to close with this. What if you were to look at a person who obeys this? So let's say if we, we're, going to, we're going to walk out now and we're going to obey this. And daily we're going to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God. What words would be used to describe what our life is going to begin looking like? Never perfectly, but like hopefully progressively, hopefully increasingly. What are some words that it's going to look at? Well, Paul gives us the words here in Romans 12.1, and I want to point these out to you. The first one is mercies. A life lived in response to God by the mercies of God would be a life that would be described, I would think, as a merciful life. In other words, if you're, li- you're, you're living your entire life in sacrifice to God because of the mercy He's shown to you, How should you live among other people? Should you be a harsh and domineering person? Should you be an unforgiving person? Should you be a person who doesn't show others grace? No love? No mercy? Well, of course not. That wouldn't be rational. Our lives would look merciful. I mean, isn't that what Jesus said? Matthew 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So the people of God, giving themselves to God, are going to be merciful. Or how about this one? We're a living sacrifice. I think a life presented to God as a living sacrifice would be a sacrificial life. I mean, Jesus used the term, deny yourself now. And what, of course, he means is, deny yourself the sins of this world, the pleasures of this world that are sinful the accumulation of wealth in a sinful way, living for this world, 
saving your life in this world, living for power, fame, or reputation, or comfort, living for sin. Deny yourself those things, you see. There's a sacrifice that happens, remember, and a death to those sins. It would be a life of living sacrifice to God, which would mean you're living for Him sacrificially. You're living for God and not yourself. You're living for others and not yourself. You're no longer living a life for self, but for the glory of God and the good of His people. I mean, isn't this what Jesus said even about Himself when His disciples were arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom? And He says, guys, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. My life, says Jesus, is a sacrificial life to God and for the good of my people. And so should your life be then. That would describe a life, a Romans 12, one life. Or how about the next word I think would be holy. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Could it be, friends, Christian friends, that we have lost the concept for personal holiness, heart holiness in our lives? And could it be an over- immersiveness in the world itself that deadens our holiness senses but it just is in the same way that in the Old Testament you would bring a holy sacrifice set apart a pure sacrifice an unblemished sacrifice to God in other words in the same way we are to be a holy people we present our God, ourselves to holiness there's a sense in which if we're not living holy It's hard for God to use us. That we are to do what Paul told Timothy to cleanse ourselves from these impurities so we can be a vessel fit for his use. A holy life. And this is what Jesus said as well as he's praying to his father, John 17, verses 15 and 9. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, literally means set them apart as holy in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I, listen to this, consecrate myself. I set myself apart. It's holy that they also may be sanctified in truth. It's living really the Christ life, isn't it? And he says acceptable to God or well-pleasing. Give yourself in service to God. That would be a, that would be a way to describe a person's life who's obeying Romans 12.1. That is a life that you just know based on the word of God is pleasing in the sight of God. I get up. It blesses God to see it. It brings him pleasure. He is our heavenly father. We know that. And we know John said even, he said, there's no greater pleasure for me, no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. As a parent, maybe you would understand that. If you see your children doing right, isn't that Joyful pleasing well the heavenly father friends is no different 
acceptable to God, a life God proves of. Did you know Jesus did that? His whole life, he said in John 8, 29, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Listen, I love this. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. That's the concept. That's the idea. And aren't you glad for that, Christian? Aren't you glad that we can describe the life of Jesus, his whole life, with words like this? Merciful, sacrificial, holy, pleasing to God. His whole life was a Romans 12, one life. And the great news that flows from that is this. He went to the cross, not as a living sacrifice, but to die on our behalf, to be sacrificed once and for all for all of our sinfulness and selfishness. Aren't you, aren't you glad for that? And that God takes his righteous record of living a life fully pleasing to him and credits it, credits it right to your account when you trust in Jesus. And he applies the cross work and the atoning blood that we'll celebrate in just a minute in the Lord's table and he washes away all your sins from Christ's sacrifice. And friends, he gives us the Holy Spirit that enables us now and empowers us to obey Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Just the mercies of God showered on us as his people. And that's why I'll leave us with this. As Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, Calvary brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, rational worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as always. We thank you for Jesus, even though we can sit here, God, and probably think of so many ways, even this week, where we have not been faithful to Romans 12.1, and we have not been faithful to you. And so we can rejoice in your son, Jesus, our Savior, who was always for us, and we can ask you to help us by the Spirit to apply this into our lives today and the rest of this week. I pray that you would do this in his name. Amen.